Scientist Neil deGrasse Tyson and founding father of the United States of America, Thomas Paine, provide what may be the strongest argument against theistic revelation. Tyson claims that when science discovers a new fact about the natural world, the religious are forced to reinterpret passages in the Bible in order to maintain their faith while accepting undeniable realities, such as the roundness of the earth and the undeniable proposition that stars um, or literal suns do not fall to the earth out of the sky, as Tyson mentioned in the book of Revelation, um, and which is an objection raised by him. Similarly, Thomas Paine argued that the theistic notion of God is unlikely to exist because the Christian Bible, Koran, Tanakh, and other religious texts inevitably lead, lead individuals to different interpretations of certain passages when read often on very, very major themes and doctrinal points. For example, and also on, of course, scientific levels as well. For example, an individual could read, quote, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God, end quote, to mean that wealth is basically evil and that it is literally impossible for any wealthy individual to go to heaven. Another individual, perhaps more informed with, with the historical context of the verse, might understand that the text, um, that might understand the text to mean that it is highly unlikely for a rich individual to go to heaven, recognizing that in ancient times the city gates would be left open at night to allow people to pass under, albeit with some difficulty. This would mean that bandits could enter the city to steal goods, but would be unable to load their camels with the goods because the camels would have to literally crawl under the city gate, making it very difficult for bandits to get away with looting a city. Although not impossible, although not impossible, as I said, it would be very difficult as I said, for a camel to go about doing this. Clearly, context is everything. If one wishes to get to the bottom of reading seemingly problematic verses, whether or not that deals with perceived scientific, historical, or ethical errors in the Old and New Testaments. In this book, we will be addressing how the ancient and medieval Christians and some contemporaneous Jews interpreted Genesis chapter 1, as well as 2 and 3. This is the Godcast. I am Xavier, and let's get into it. original language of Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. When understanding how one should read Genesis chapter 1, it may be best to start with the original language in, the, in which the text was written. Medieval rabbi Shlomo Gijaki, most famously known as Rashi, recognized that Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 reads something like, quote, when God created the heavens and the earth, end quote, instead of, of instead of, quote, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, end quote with the following statement commented by Rashi, quote, if you wish to interpret if you wish to interpret it, that is Genesis one one, according to its clear grammatical sense, then interpret it this way. At the beginning of God's creating heaven and earth, when the earth was chaos and void and darkness, then God said, Let there be light. Scripture does not intend to teach the order of creation that heaven and earth were first. If it had, it would be written in the beginning. End quote. This fascinating acknowledgement that the Bible does not teach the order of creation, as Rashi directly states, refutes the idea that individuals were forced to reinterpret the order of the days of creation 
or other such factors to fit a new scientific model because Horatio lived between the years 1040 to 1105, which long predates any scientific discoveries that would force people to reinterpret scripture. what the 2nd century clergy and fellow of Alexandria thought of Genesis. St. Irenaeus of Lyon, a 2nd century church father who lived from 130 to 202 and was a disciple of St. Polycarp of Smyrna, who was a disciple of St. John the Apostle, used Psalm chapter 90 verse 4 to expand each individual day of creation to 1,000 years. Psalm chapter 90 verse 4 says, quote, A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by. Go watch in the night. End quote. Therefore, St. Irenaeus viewed the six days of creation as six millennia of creation. It may be worthy to note that St. Irenaeus was very theologically conservative. His most well-known book is entitled Against All Heresies, and he dedicated a large portion of his career to refuting various strands of Gnosticism as well as Marcionism and Valentinianism. Now that we have established that St. Irenaeus held a non-literal view of the six days of creation, interpreting them as millennia instead of 24-hour periods, let us turn our attention to a prominent Jewish theologian and philosopher who lived contemporaneously to the first-generation Christians. Fellow of Alexandria, a Hellenistic Jew who lived around 20 BC to 40 AD, or, or if you prefer, 20 BCE to 40 CE, interpreted Genesis allegorically with a complex set of numerology, a highly philosophical logos theology, which looks very similar to that of the Church Fathers, and other traits borrowed from Hellenistic philosophies such as Middle Platonism, Neoplatonism, and Stoicism. So in essence, he had a figurative or allegorical interpretation of Genesis, and when commenting on the Torah, he had a highly philosophical view of a view of logos theology which is basically in his in his case it would be the view that god basically created two beings uh, one of which was a spiritual being which sounds very similar to the holy spirit and the other of which was the logos or an angelic being that sounds sort of similar to jesus in the bible and basically, God, in Philo's view, sort of attached his deity or lordship to these two entities. So I thought that was an inter- interesting commonality between Philo's viewpoint and that of the earliest Christians on God in a triune sense. Philo taught that scripture has two components, its body or literal meaning and its soul or allegorical meaning. In fact, Philo went so far as to outright deny the literal meaning of the text on several occasions, writing that Sarah and Hagar, the wife and servant of Abraham respectively, did not exist, but rather represented higher truths about reality instead of literal historical personages. Philo would interpret entire figures in scripture as philosophical concepts, writing, for example, that Moses was pure thought and Aaron was uttered speech, although he believed in the literal existence of Moses and likely Aaron by extension. Philo would also view miracles in many cases as naturally explainable events. However, these details are not entirely relative to our intents and purposes. 
All you need to know is that Philo interpreted scripture allegorically. It may be important to note that Philo, although prominent in his day as the leader of the Alexandrian Jews, did not catch on after his death, and his writings were largely ignored during the writing of and compilation of the Mishnah, Midrash, and Talmud in subsequent centuries. Clearly, there was variety, even radical variety, in how ancient Jews interpreted the scriptures, and at least a willingness among some second-century Christians to extend the days in Genesis. what the 3rd century Christian clergy thought of Genesis. Saint Clement of Alexandria and his protege and successor to the deanship at the Catechetical School of Alexandria, being Origen of Alexandria, argued against a literal six-day creation. Saint Clement claimed that God created the world in one instantaneous act of creation instead of over six periods of time, writing, quote, for the creations on the different days followed in a more important succession so that all things brought into existence might have honor from priority, created together in thought, but not being of equal worth, nor was the creation of each signified by the voice, inasmuch as the creative work is said to have made them at once. For something must needs have been named first. Wherefore those things were announced first, from which came those that were second, all things being originated together from one essence by one power, for the will of God was one in one entity. And how could creation take place in time, seeing time was born along with things which exist? End quote. It is important to note that St. Clement of Alexandria and Origen of Alexandria were deeply influenced by Ammonius Saccas, a philosopher and teacher widely regarded as the founder of Neoplatonism, who was at one point a Christian before leaving the religion and lived between around 175 to 242 of the Common Era. Ammonius wrote down absolutely none of his teachings, although he taught Plotinus, the most famous non-Christian Neoplatonist, and Origen of Alexandria, the most famous Christian Neoplatonist, with Plotinus writing down his own teachings, which he derived from Ammonius during the end of his life. During the end of Plotinus' life, he basically wrote down his own teachings, which he derived from Ammonius, in a book entitled The Enneads, which became the foundational text for Neoplatonism. While what Plotinus, Origen, and St. Clement believed about reincarnation, God, and salvation would be, deser would be deserving of its own episode. It may be best now to focus on what Origen and Clement thought, taught on creation and why Neoplatonism impacted their views on this topic, and how Neoplatonism impacted their views on this topic. Origen's views on creation were so unique to him that if read in the present day, they would appear to originate from a completely different religion. Origen taught that other worlds exist before the present world, interpreting Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 10, which reads, quote, There is nothing new under the sun, end quote, to mean that there are actually multiple different versions of the world and or universe before this one. Origen argues that matter and time came into being simultaneously and that God created the universe ex nihilo or out of nothing and that the universe existed in different versions throughout time predating our current version of the universe. Origen takes creation a step further that even multiple worlds existed before the fall of humanity and argues for the pre-existence of minds called logica or logica. I'm not entirely sure of the pronunciation, unfortunately, but we're going to go with Logica. All right. Logica, who are basically immaterial minds, were created before time and the material world began and were created with the purpose 
of exploring the divine mysteries in an infinite and unending state of contemplation. However, the Logica, being the minds, grew bored and fell away from God, all except for one, who was Christ. That is Origen's line of thinking. Origen argues that human beings, while in the state of the fall, added both body and soul to their minds, and once saved, would return to the state of pure mind. During the fall, human beings basically fell into the created world that was created for human beings to uh, exist in, and then learn divine mysteries, and then ascend back to the state of endless contemplation. Taking into account how Origen interpreted the fall, as well as his view that there were multiple stages of the universe before the current stage, could show how Origen did not take Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 literally. Furthermore, it may be noted that the theory of the, of the Big Bounce, or the idea that the Big Bang was the result of an imploded universe that predates it, could be reconciled with Origen's view of multiple universes or stages of the universe existing before this one. It is clear that St. Augustine is perhaps one that has one of the most interesting views on this, besides that of, of course, Origin of Alexandria. Although, as I've discussed, Origin of Alexandria has a very sort of heterodox theology, whereas Augustine has a theology that became widely accepted by the Church and is still held in high regard today. In relation to the order of creation, Augustine writes, quote, but the speaker does not first utter a formless sound of his word and later gather it together and shape it into words. Similarly, God the Creator did not first make unformed matter and later, as if after further reflection, form it according to the series of works he produced. He created formed matter. End quote. Clearly this sounds very, very similar to that of Clement, who believed in, in an immediate creation in which all of the universe was created simultaneously, um, akin to basically matter popping into existence to then be sort of naturally or supposedly supernaturally, or yeah, naturally or supernaturally naturally reorganized either with the laws of physics, which God created, or with God simply working along with the law of physics to organize the various pieces of matter of the universe into its present form. This is obviously the view of Clement, it's obviously the view of Augustine, and it was the view of Origen, who is the student of Clement. Clement, in fact, says, quote, No one certainly would be foolish as to think that God, because God is great beyond all things, even a very few syllables uttered by his mouth could have extended over the course of a whole day, end quote. Perhaps even more interesting, St. Augustine supposedly taught a sort of theistic evolution, or almost, to some degree, an atheistic evolution. Not to say that he didn't believe in God, of course, but he believed that God basically has sort of uh, created animals and then simply let them evolve themselves in their own directions. Um, now, he didn't necessarily believe in macroevolution. I don't want to sort of create a, a straw man and say, oh, he certainly believed in, like, full-on Darwinian evolution uh, that didn't exist yet, obviously, or that was not conceived of yet. But he did believe that, at least to some degree, animals could change from different from different forms to another. Writing, quote, The book of Genesis appropriately begins with water, from which all kinds of animals, plants, and trees are born and develop in time, each according to its nature. End quote. 
This is very interesting because it because it sort of mentions um, this idea of animals changing into other sorts of versions of themselves. Although actually, one could I would argue make the make the make the claim that given that he believes that everything sort of comes from the water, it says quote. Um, begins with water, from which all kinds of animals, plants, and trees are born and develop in time, each according to its nature. And to quote, that actually arguably could be extended to a full macroevolutionary viewpoint, a sort of Darwinian viewpoint. Um, so actually, yeah, I mean, that is uh, an example in which um, sort of sort of seems like a, a theologian, being um, Augustine, kind of conceptualized evolution many centuries before, which I find to be very fascinating. Uh, furthermore, he talks about evolution, or at least something that sounds very similar to evolution, in the following way. Quote, The things that God had potentially created came forth in the course of time on different days according to their different kinds, and the rest of the earth was filled with its various kinds of creatures which produced their appropriate forms in due time. End quote. So it seems clearly that Augustine believes that animals are um, shifting from one form to another form. Um, furthermore, Augustine says, quote, It is obvious that in accordance with those kinds of creatures which he first made, God makes many new things which he did not make then. End quote. Furthermore, he says, quote, It is thus that God unfolds the generations which he laid up in creation when he found it. End quote. He also makes a reference to basically... Um, Within animals, there's a sort of potentiality for that animal or that uh, quote-unquote kind or that plant to basically form into a completely different version or, or a more updated version or at least a more um, adept version of itself or just 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 just, just a, a sort of larger, more upgraded version, we could say, at the very least, saying, quote, The tree surely did not spring forth suddenly in a mature size and form, but rather went through a process of growth with which we are similar, it took its shape as it gradually developed. With all its parts, one form of tree comes from the other form of tree, therefore in succession, but both come from earth and not from and not earth from them. Earth then is prior and is their source. The true is the same as true of animals. End quote. So it seems to me that, that there's this idea that sort of um animals and so forth come from a very basic form and then sort of uh, work their way up in terms of complexity to sort of evolve. So I find that to be a very fascinating view of um, sort of a theistic uh, evolution, or at least God at the beginning sort of creating animals and, and, and other components which can then evolve into more full and complex versions, perhaps even without direct intervention. So I find that to be very fascinating. That being said, I hope you find this to be a fascinating episode in which I talked about sort of the nexus between science and religion, uh, theology and natural sciences, and how the ancient church interpreted controversial concepts such as the uh, such as a literal creation versus a figurative creation, or evolution versus um, the sort of uh, literalist alternative. That being said, uh, this has been the Godcast. I'm Xavier. And stay tuned.